Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm your host, Meg Berryman, and this is the Beyond Being Well podcast. Here at the show, we are passionate about helping you. Helping you build deep relationships with yourself, the earth, and others. Helping you foster a deep, embodied sense of well-being and empowerment. Helping you slow down, work sustainably, and consume mindfully. And helping you create social change from the inside out. So settle in, get cosy, and let's get straight on with the episode. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. So excited that you've come back to join me because this is a goodie. This episode is one I know you're going to really enjoy. I've been dying to share this episode for a while, but I've been really snowed under with being sick and I've been in kind of an implementation phase of my work. So I've been doing a lot of one-on-one calls with women um, as part of the Lead Her program and I've been um, setting everyone up who's joining the Unbound program. And so during those phases, part of the way that I build a burnout resilient business is by just ensuring that um, there's a balance of kind of implementation work as well as um, sales and just really honoring the seasons and cycles that my business is in and that I'm in as well. Um, and today's guest has actually been such a huge help um, for me in that department. I just wanted to give a huge shout out to all the women who are joining the Unbound program, which is my six-week business immersion starting this Thursday, the 20th of Feb, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. But the course is available worldwide. And the reason I'm so excited is because these women and myself are interested in co-creating a new paradigm of business wherein we're building sustainable businesses from the inside out, businesses that center people and planet, not just profit, and businesses where we get to work according to the feminine expression and, and in accordance with our season cycles and gifts. So we're leveraging our gifts and strengths in order to create more ease um, in our work and also to be resourced in bringing that work into the wider community. So we're going to spend six weeks, um, you, me and your business, and we're going to talk about energy, like the energetics. We're going to talk about operations. We're going to talk talk about offerings. And it's really about the art of building a socially conscious business that really respects you, that respects other people and respects the planet as well. So if you are going to join us, this is your call to action to go to megberryman.com forward slash unbound, get involved. You can enroll there or book a call with me or just send me a PM on Instagram or Facebook and we will get you set up because it's going to be really catalytic and really activating. Um, and just six weeks to spend like diving deep, um, and ironing out some of the fear that may be either creating burnout or maybe creating a disconnect, um, in the relationship between you and the people that you're here to co-create this new world with. So get involved. And now I get to introduce today's guest, um, 
and she's someone that I just had the pleasure of working with at the end of 2019 and someone who I just learned so much from. So Nikki Silvestri, she's the founder and CEO of Soil and Shadow, um, which is a coaching and consulting firm that brings social and environmental entrepreneurs more impact in their work and joy in their lives. So I was a part of her Joy and Impact Academy, which is um, currently in its second round of beta testing. Um, and Nikki just has a presence about her that is so activating. And she has taught me how essential it is to be fiercely protective of our energies and her story um, around burnout is something we go to in this episode. But what I really admire about her is that she weaves together within her business both her consulting work. So she's working um, with not-for-profits, particularly around building trust and within relationships and trust in systems. But she's also committed to training leaders um, who are committed to social change. And in this episode, we dive deep into her love of regenerative ag and her all the metaphors that she has around that and how it relates to our leadership and impact. And we just really get a beautiful, concise, succinct description of what leadership means to her. So without further ado, here is my chat with Nikki. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really great to be here. I'm excited. I've been, I mean, it's 6am and I'm like raring to go because it's, um, I just love every time we speak. But I wanted to dive in with the question that I ask everyone. And that is, what is the change that you want to see in the world? And how are you currently expressing that or supporting that? That's such a good question. I love this question because every time I'm asked it, it forces me to look into what the answer is right now, you know, because I, my spiritual calling is to support humanity with resolving the control, the, the tendency to control and dominate that's at the core of the reason why we're mistreating each other and the earth. And so my businesses, my collaborations, my team, everything that I've done is around that. And it's interesting because how that has manifested is a bunch of different ways over the last few years. A lot of it has been shadow work with women leaders in particular. A lot of it has been strategic advising with regenerative agriculture. My career has been pretty broad reaching from climate change and food systems to economic development to leadership coaching. And so right now I would say the one of the deepest ways that's showing up is just working with women social impact leaders, whether they're entrepreneurs or in the nonprofit space, to be holistically fertile in their personal and professional lives. Ugh, I love it. I love it so much because it does change, right? Like it does, the expression changes even if the essence is the same. And I think that sometimes we, don't give ourselves the permission to expand into all the different expressions of our social change vision as it changes through our seasons and cycles of life as well. Mm -hmm. 
So tell me about what this holistically fertile, what does that mean when you're talking about the work with women leaders? Yeah. So the foundation of it, and you're going to have to forgive me for nerding out for just a second, but because of my regenerative agriculture background, soil is very inspiring to me. And I worked for a long time with food systems organizations and with climate organizations that were trying to figure out how to draw down carbon from the atmosphere. And one of the beautiful things about soil is it has the capacity to, when it is fertile, absorb and hold something that currently in the atmosphere is a toxin. And I feel like that is a metaphor for, for women leaders is incredible because mm-hmm. I think women a lot of times try to just absorb and take on what they view, what we view as toxic, but then it becomes toxic in our bodies. And soil is a way to just view constant transmutation and transformation as something that the woman's body does. And it's something that we can do in our leadership as well. So that's, that's one metaphor with soil, but just plainly, when you build soil fertility, the things that grow are of benefit to the entire ecosystem, period. You don't have to bully the soil into growing the crops, the exact crops that you think (laughs) should be grown. You just build fertility and everything else flows from there. So our business, we have something called the joy and impact framework. And that looks into building your own, prepping your own personal soil in your leadership, building fertility in that soil in your leadership, and then learning how to respect the life that then grows once you've built that fertility and using that as a model for leadership in your business, on your team, in your communities. Mm. Yeah. I just was thinking as you were saying that, because you use metaphor so beautifully and I've got this pumpkin situation and I'm like, they're not growing. And I was just thinking like, we're out about the pumpkins. <laughs> like, it's fine. There's lots of other things growing and that's beautiful. Um, so I wonder, you were talking about the domination paradigm and um, and how ending that or alchemizing that has been part of your work through all these different iterations how has that work looked internally for you as a leader but also as a mother and um, a woman how has that work looked on the inside Mm -hmm. the fertility work yeah yeah but also this around ending ending domination and and coercive and domination Oh, Meg, you going deep. <laughs> um, well, I became a nonprofit executive director at 25 and learned from leaders that were brilliant for sure. And one of the easiest paradigms to pick up as a young leader, I think, is control. Mm. Just learn how to control, learn how to control through fear. So I went to that default setting without knowing it. And because I tend to be pretty holistic and compassionate and collaborative anyway, it was a slow degree. It was a slow degrade of my emotional health. It was hard to see on the outside. And after five years being a nonprofit executive director, both locally and nationally, I burned out wasn't even the word. Like, and again, going back to soil, right? It's like, when you are in it for short-term gains and short-term crop yields in an agricultural system, 
of course you can pump the soil full of whatever chemicals you want and get a lot of great yield for a short period of time. But the entire time you're degrading the long-term health of the soil and its ability for the ecosystem to be sustainable over generations and hundreds of years. And that's what I was doing to myself as a leader. I was, you know, I became a national thought leader. Like on the surface, it looked like I was being very successful. Underneath all that, my marriage was struggling. I was having, you know, personal conception fertility issues. I was hopeless. I was having multiple existential crises at the same time. I was struggling with my identity as a black woman. I just, I left my nonprofit career off a cliff and was in a very dark place for a while. And so that was when soil versus crop yield as a metaphor really started to come up because I had been in food systems and climate change before that, not realizing that my model was that of an organic monoculture mm-hmm. <laughs> and not of a biodynamic farm, right? I'm not using pesticides. It must be great. But it's like, no, no, honey, that's not, that's not long-term sustainable. <laughs> so that breakdown in 2014 was a big way that it came up for me. It's so interesting because it's like the same portal that I experienced in the same year. <laughs> and I, I always think like it's not an accident. I didn't see burnout or any of that existential stuff as I, I feel like on a spiritual level, we're being tapped on the shoulder as leaders, as thought leaders mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. this is just no coincidence, like that, that we're finding each other, that we're coming together, that we're being activated in the same way through what look like terrible breakdowns and crises. But they're actually, as you say, like awakenings and definitely within the nonprofit, you know, space. When I worked there, it's like the same feeling of like how are we how are we breaking down systems when the system we're creating is so toxic and so built around just burning people out and, and consume like con- consumable culture, right? Like materialist and consumable and um, hierarchical. And it just seemed so at odds with the mission of a lot of the places that I worked with. Um, and that disconnect being really deeply painful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Super painful. <laughs> so what was that kind of, rebirth like was it around setting boundaries around your time was it around like going deep and disentangling the identity piece like what what was that journey from 2014 to now like what does that look like felt like well the first step was I spent I just I dived really deep in the into the Himalayan sage lineage of yoga because it turns out my executive coach was a practitioner of the Himalayan sage lineage and that was behind all of her coaching. And so at the end of that 2014 year, I was just like, help me. (laughs) Um, So it was a lot of chakra work. It was a lot of the yamas and the niyamas. Like she basically was just like, you need some thousands of years old wisdom at this point. You need to go say some mantras and feel what they mean in your body. So it feels like I went to a, um, like a boot camp, 
you know, I didn't go to an ashram for a year, but I was integrating that level of spiritual inner work into my day-to-day life. And I distanced myself enough from my professional obligations so that I had time to do them. And I actually think that that was vital. And I think for many leaders, that's vital. Like we don't, we don't take extended periods of time off because, you know, the world is on fire, both literally and metaphorically. But those extended periods of time off to do that inner reflection work is actually what helps us do the exponential leaps in our ability to then hold the rest of the world. So it was in, you know, being up in the redwoods and like, cause I live in the forest. So being in the forest, doing my deep inner work, of course, still building my business, but not building it, building it basically word of mouth instead of having a bunch of infrastructure really allowed me to be more insular than at any other point in my career. And then that allowed the soil fertility model to show up within me. Like then the rest of my professional life just started to emerge instead of me creating it. And that was not a paradigm I had had much experience with because so many of my mentors and so much of my work before had been, okay, so we have an election cycle coming up. You have 10 months to do X, Y, and Z. That is the timeline, period. And it was based on these external circumstances that were the deadline or else you were going to miss it and there was no getting it back, whatever it was. And that just transitioned to a much broader framework of what I'm working toward is the evolution of consciousness within humanity, like period. That has its own timeline. How can I align with and sync with that and have so much trust in my syncing and alignment with that, that there is no such thing as not being on time for something. If it hasn't emerged, it ain't time, period. How do I know it's emerging? I'm waking up at three in the morning with insights. I have bursts of innovation and creativity. I know what alignment feels like now. I know what it, what it means to not force something and to allow myself to be a vessel. And I just, and one of the biggest impacts of that for me, honestly, is that we don't, we don't have time to be linear anymore. Like the world is actually literally on fire. We have to figure out how to be in flow as much of the time as humanly possible. And being in flow is about being in in tune and in alignment with the evolution of consciousness with humanity and figuring out the pressure points that are our, our unique pressure points to push in that evolution. And the only way to get in that level of flow and to move exponentially fast instead of linearly fast is to do that inner work. And to have and to curate the kind of lifestyle and the kind of professional workflow that protects flow and alignment and doesn't protect external deadlines. Mm. I just like this stuff around consciousness and aligning with what's already happening. It's just it's coming through so strongly right now. And I love your articulation of it, which is so perfect around just we don't have time to be linear and the the shadow work really being like an opportunity to work back through time and space and forward at the same time to me, you know, because that's when what we can do when we're present is that we can heal ancestral lineage stuff in the collective as well. And then forward. And I, I see social change leaders on this precipice of like, 
if we can bring all our spiritual tools and and um, personal tools and this integrated shadow work with us, like that's that's a leader, you know, that's a ninja. That is that is someone that uh, can change the whole game, I think. And I learn a lot from you about that. So I'm curious about the word leader and what you see as part of our mission to reclaim that word as women leaders. I don't know whether you deal with it, but I I sense that there's still like a redefining of it or reclaiming of it that is going on. Where do you see that relationship at the moment? Mm, That's another amazing question. That answer actually changed for me in the last year. (laughs) So it's, this is, I think one of the first times I'm going to get to articulate this new way that I orient toward leadership. I feel like there's different interlocking circles of leadership. The traditional way that we talk about and think about leadership, I think is incredibly applicable to women because more and more of us are going to need to be in positions where we're leveraging millions of dollars and we have political base constituencies and are slaying in Congress or, you know, that that 34 year old who's now the head of Sweden or whatever, like more of us are going to need to be doing that (laughs) because the world, the global infrastructure needs a bit more of the feminine influence, I think, in order for billions of people to not die in the transition, frankly. So there's that level of leader. We definitely need to continue to attend to our ability and skill to be there. And there will be a mass transition at some point, just ecosystem-wise, economically. It's already happening in some parts of the world. It just hasn't hit as much of the first world yet. Although you being in Australia and the fire is happening, like that kind of stuff is going to become more normal. I live in California. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like our power was off and we're in the woods. And if a fire came, we weren't even going to be able to get no alerts because our phones were down because the towers were down because they cut the power. You know what I mean? It's just like basic infrastructure is already starting to fail. And so in those paradigms, local resiliency is going to be everything. And the folks who know how to like honest to God for real, for real, hold local resiliency are women. Not to say that men aren't there. The masculine force has so many skills that are going to need to be applicable. And the, the nurturing, keep your shit together, our souls are still capable of feeling joy force that local communities are going to need to have in the face of such a radical transition that we're going through right now, that's held by the feminine. That's women leaders. And you're a leader in that if you're a mom and you know how to hold a community of children. You're a leader in that if you're a woman who is just interconnected with her local community, which most of us are, you know, that's just, it's one of the things of women. And that's just, that's like textbook stuff. You want to change an entire country's economy, give microloans to the women, you know, because women know how to spread resources. So I think that those, those are just two examples, but there's multiple examples that women hold, I think, of the interlocking ways, both for local resiliency 
and for national international influence that we're going to be that we're stepping into a different era yeah i love what you're saying about the emergence of local resiliency and and um i i mean i was just at my kids kinder last night i'm on the board and we were talking about care for the next 40 years, you know, and it's like on a, uh, you, you can step back and be like, that's not leadership. That's not important. But, but when I'm in that room and I'm thinking about what, how we're going to care for these children over the next 40 years and what this, what the world is going to look like for them and, and what they need to be kept safe in, within that. Like it's really profound and important that we're taking up space in those spaces and um, within that, finding the confidence to lead, I think, as well. Like it works both ways in a way. Um, so I'm, I'm curious because when I, whenever I talk to you, I, I hear this level of resilience, I guess, is the word that comes through to be able to stay in action rather than paralysis when there is so much paralysis right now and fear and confusion. And so I know you have practices, but overall, like how do you stay in, in action and how do you stay optimistic and how do you continue to hold space for those you work with, even when you're maybe not feeling so optimistic Well, it gets to what you talked about with me at the beginning of this conversation, <laughs> right? Is like the way that I treat my time. And I honestly, I think this is why women's leadership is such a thing for me. Because anyone who has had children understands this. <laughs> <laughs> How do you continue to hold it? Well, gee, for those of us that have them through our bodies, and not every mom, every mom does, but for those of us who have them through our bodies, we are growing a thing that our body actively is trying to kill for part of the pregnancy. And then we gain 30 to 50 pounds and our entire bone structure changes. Then it is either cut out of us the way that it was for me that I didn't want, but that's the way and thank God for modern medicine. But for most of us, then our body, you know, the hips unhinge like an alien and we push <laughs> humans out of our body. And then once we have gone through a year of the most physically intensive thing the human body can go through, you're just not going to sleep. The recovery. What's recovery? No, you have to be emotionally available and the most generous, open-hearted version of yourself with no sleep while your body is making food and you don't particularly feel beautiful or attractive. And your brain chemistry is like, oh wait, normalcy? No, 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 no. You're functionally just nuts during the first year of a baby's yeah. life. Like when I, when I really think about that, like what the woman as an animal is able to hold. And then women like me who are like, I'm going to treat my kids with respect. I'm doing respectful parenting because that's the way that you raise kids and just they're human, they're whole humans. You know, like I have my whole thing and <laughs> holding myself to that standard is fantastic. <laughs> and it's like a spiritual practice because <laughs> it means that I have to resource myself, yeah. you know, it, there, there ain't no, now that my toddler is doing the tantrum thing, like 
any time I'm not resourced is a time I may not be able to connect to him. And that is an imperative that will make me do literally anything. Mm. So I feel like, and then there's also research that just shows that if you're the primary caregiver for a new baby for any extended period of time, your brain chemistry changes the same way that it does if you're a breastfeeding mom. So this does nothing to do with whether you actually carry or are nursing the child. This is all about, are you a primary caregiver to something that can't survive without you? And if you can do that and you put yourself in the position to do that, then your brain chemistry will align with the way that you have to care for yourself to be able to care for everything else. Mm -hmm. So yes, you know, I have practices and all of that, but we all have practices. The, The difference is, do you use them? when you've been waking up, like I've been waking up at three in the morning, the last three days, getting downloads, like learning to sleep in a different way. There's some, there's something happening within me right now that I'm integrating. I can't name it yet. It hasn't shown itself. It's just showing me that there is something big happening right now in my other than conscious self that is needing some space and time to integrate. So I'm like, okay, cool. Going to add a little bit of ghee and coconut oil to my tea in the morning because I'm trying to get pregnant and I can't be doing the caffeine, but I need to be awake. So what can I do? You know, just like the stamina to wake up at 5.30 in the morning and go on a walk in the rain, knowing that I need both the bulletproof tea and the walk in order to be able to meet my day with resiliency. It's, Mm -hmm. I would have known before that I would have needed to do that. I just probably wouldn't have actually done it. The other thing I'll say about that is having a partner, like for real, having a partner. My husband and I went through some shit last year and it was just a lot of death, a lot of mayhem. And over the holiday break, we recommitted to each other and recommitted to getting out of living in triage as a normal thing. And I can't even describe over the last three weeks, the the exponential jump in capacity because he's with me now in a way that we just weren't able to be with each other last year. So I I don't think that that can be taken for granted either is like having your ride or die with you in lockstep is also the thing that gets you to that next level of ability to serve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know, I so know the pain. We also went through a bit of a weird thing over summer and it's like, I know the pain of not being in lockstep, like how painful that is especially when you're co-parenting or like raising kids together. It's really, really difficult. You know, as you were talking, it's like this brain chemistry piece when we become mums and the, to me, it's like we, the emotional centers become so activated that it almost becomes easier to be paralyzed by the collective. And the way I always think of it is like, as um, I call them sacred social leaders, whatever, as leaders, concerned citizens, socially conscious peeves, and we've got like one hand on the collective and one hand on our heart, you know, and like we can feel the pulse of the collective because we're energy kind of masters as well. But sometimes having that hand on the pulse when our emotional centres are like super activated, like mine were last year, being postpartum, as you say, that first year, it's really overwhelming. And so having those retreats and those but that spaciousness to integrate and to just take care of your own needs and then the family's needs and like that's where your 
teachings to me around using my time so with so much respect and humility and reverence has really allowed me to step up as a leader in such profound capacities because I'm just like there's just I don't want this just leaking away you know unconsciously even if it's like rest and restoration just bringing intention to it um and you're such the living embodiment of that so it's it's so little about like what you say and just and how you are with your time and um I really appreciate that I also am conscious of time and respecting yours now as I say that so I wanted to ask two more questions. One being, how do you see business? Um, it's really in my consciousness at the moment. How do you see business as a force for good? Um, how do you see the reorientation of business and entrepreneurship and situating that within a social change lens? Like just your thoughts. I'd love to hear where you're at with that. I think business it's one of those things where it's about sacred exchange and the, the movement of nonprofit work from charity into the 501c3 structure degraded a lot of the core of what it meant to serve generously with no expectation, you know, like to serve from a place of unconditional love. And I think that we're at a, um, a transition moment and a pivot point right now where social impact business can be seen as a new way to orient toward what sacred reciprocal exchange looks like. I'm going to offer generously and I expect to create a vortex where I can receive generously. And I will expect and step into that receiving generously as a part of being interdependent and in community. So businesses that can orient that way and spread that as the message are going to be incredibly important moving forward. Mm, sacred exchange it's a really nice lens to to think about I'm gonna let that like percolate today because it's really there's layers to it I can feel that we don't have time Mm -hmm. to explore um thank you so I just wanted to to end by giving your intuitive guidance system free reign to share for this particular whoever's listening um just any last nuggets of wisdom that are coming through that feel really important to say today anything that's been floating around that you feel like this is the opportunity to share it I just wanted to give free reign to that before we end so is there anything else Mm -hmm. let me tune in here when you say internal guidance system is zen the practitioner of that that you're talking about I don't know the actual IGS system oh. you just really brought up a blast from my past right now because yeah. she talks about internal guidance system and literally haven't even thought about her in like 11 years so was maybe she was pretty, meant to come through today incredible that you brought that up just now uh, um i give my system free reign for that i think put your feet in the earth like that's what's coming up for me that I started this talking about soil as a metaphor, but soil as a literal thing is real. You know, I think more of us need to remember to be animals in a habitat and stop with the wild curation. It's another thing that motherhood is really good for. Like you just learn how to have bodily fluids on you to be unclean, quote unquote, in ways that you would never be unclean normally. 
and exist in a level of feral chaos that I actually think is <laughs> profoundly healing and necessary for us. It's a part of, we, we've sanitized that out of our lives and that has really negatively impacted our relationship with elders and children, just everything. So go be a wild animal, go get naked and roll around in the mud, like do stuff that you haven't done since you were three and feel how that activates something special. I'm going to go, literally going to go and put my feet in the dirt because I just feel really called to. And just not enough reminders in the world, right? There's like not enough people saying, just go and put your feet in the dirt, even though everyone's saying it because we've been so sanitized and so conditioned to just not do that or not even desire to do that. Yep. Amazing. Well, Nikki, thanks so much for your time and all of this juicy wisdom, which I'm going to listen to again. Um, Thank you for being Mm. here. Yeah, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. 